Podcast for America is sponsored by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. Right now, use our promo code AMERICA for this special offer. Go to Stamps.com and sign up for a no-risk trial plus a $110 bonus offer, which includes up to $55 in free postage. That's Stamps.com. Enter offer code AMERICA. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello, and welcome to Podcast for America, a show from Panoply about the Game of Thrones that is a presidential campaign cycle. I'm Alex Wagner, host of MSNBC's Now with Alex Wagner, and I am speaking to you from the Panoply Studios in New York City. Joining me in our dazzling DuPont Circle Studios in Washington is New York Magazine contributing editor Annie Lowry. Hi, Annie. Hey, Alex. Also joining us from Washington is Mark Leibovich, chief national correspondent for the New York Times Magazine. Hi, Alex. First up on today's episode, Bo Biden, son of Vice President Joe Biden, passed away over the weekend. Bo was the beloved former attorney general of Delaware, and his death was the rare occurrence that seemed to lead the political world into a moment of shared humanity. Even hardcore conservatives like Liz Cheney and Sarah Palin paused to send their respects. And it reminded all of us of the authenticity and just generosity that are hallmarks of the Biden clan. Then we will discuss Bernie Mentum, the Vermont Democrat, uh, independent uh, Democrat, (laughs) is in Iowa, attracting left-wing crowds the likes of which haven't been seen in the Hawkeye state since Lena Dunham pretended to shoot girls there last summer. Should Hillary be worried about Bernie? And after that, we will discuss former Speaker Dennis Hastert and the federal charges brought against him, ones which accuse Hastert of paying an acquaintance millions in cover-up money and then lying to the FBI about it. Does this mean that the Hastert rule will finally be renamed the shitty policy that the GOP pretends is a rule but still breaks from time to time? The answers to this and more coming up. Okay. First, Bo Biden. Bo Biden died at the age of 46 on Saturday. There's been an absolute outpouring of kind words written about him over the past few days, praising the oldest son of the vice president who just finished his second term as attorney general of Delaware in January, a man who was passionate about justice and accountability. A statement by President Obama, which was released very late on Saturday night, quoted the poet William Butler Gates. I have believed the best of every man and find that to believe it is enough to make a bad man show him at his best or even a good man swing his lantern higher. Then Obama wrote, Bo Biden believed the best of all of us. For him and for his family, we swing our lanterns higher. So Mark and Annie, I was out on Saturday night and I remember hearing the news that Bo Biden had passed away and it struck me like incredibly strongly. And then I read this statement from the president And, you know, all of us read statements from the White House, but this one seemed so unbelievably personal and so much coming from a place of grief and anguish directly from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And I feel like in the hours and days that have followed, you've seen this just collective national outpouring of sadness, understandably, but in a sort of way that seems genuine and truly emotional in a way that other deaths maybe have have not touched the country and its political leaders as much. First of all, I mean, the, the death of a child is is just so singular as to take your breath away. I mean, 
We've been through the kabuki of so many national tragedies and mass shootings, and and, and obviously, you know, public death is part of public life, right? I mean, people are going to lose people that are close to them. But there's something both unique about this, but but also in the context of Biden's greater history and having lost a daughter and his first wife in a terrible car accident. And, and also Biden, for better or for worse, is a deeply human figure. He is seen yeah. as a very, very human figure. No one ever accuses him of being calculating, right? And it, like so many of us, I mean, his prime asset is also one of his biggest liabilities, which is his humanity, which is his flawedness. And he's a very emotional guy. And I think you know, part of the outpouring here is that for for all the reasons that he's easy to mock and easy to dismiss as a as a politician, he's also easy to really really empathize with when something like this happens. That's absolutely right, and I think that there's you know a kind of funny thing where Biden, since he's become the vice president, I think has taken on this sort of in the press. I mean, not personally, um, has taken on this kind of buffoonish persona where he you know he's Joe Biden who's tickling babies and, you know, like passing out ice cream cones. Tickling and, nominees, spouses. Yeah. <laughs> yes, giving them And he does. Rubs. I mean, he has this kind of like everybody's favorite uncle sort of thing. But it, it really became, you know, that he was he was like America Muppet, right, or Patriot Muppet. But the flip side of that is that people really like him. Republicans really like him. And this is a White House that has had a lot of trouble, like forging deep personal relationships with a lot of Republicans. But you hear this over and over again. People like Joe Biden. They like talking to Joe Biden. And despite this kind of persona, he has this enormous personal gravitas and he attracts people to him. And I think that that is, is one of the things that has contributed to the, the sort of pathos here. And it's, yeah, it's just unbelievably tragic. And I think, as Mark pointed out, especially given the fact that Joe Biden has endured a lot more tragedy in his life than, than anybody should have to. What's interesting is when you contrast kind of, I mean, Joe Biden is for all intents and purposes a professional politician and yet doesn't have the veneer of professionalism or a whiff of disingenuous, disingenu, disingenuous, disingenu, disin, <laughs> falsity. Whatever around it is, him. we can whiff it. You know, you know but do you, do you know what I mean? And I think you could compare him to someone like Bill Clinton, who also is an incredible retail politician and actually very good at negotiating and had better relations with with Republic. Well, to a point, um, right. relations with folks on Capitol Hill. And yet they're they're completely different on the spectrum of politicians who represent you know, the classic politician and spend their lives in politics and feed off of the energy of the the people, you know? I mean, in that way, when we talk about who is best suited for the 21st century and era, and Mark, I know that you can talk about this, where we examine and dissect our politicians, a lot of people say, oh, Joe Biden's so flawed, he's too human. I think because he's so un undeniably authentic, he is perfect for this moment. We, Joe Biden makes us feel better about ourselves. You, you know, you could actually say that. I mean, I, I think he is similar to Bill Clinton in that they are classic retail, we love politics politicians. On the other hand, you know, Bill Clinton had a heck of a lot more good fortune in getting elected to national office than Joe Biden did, who's already run twice. But I do think it is interesting in light of what is a very, seems to be a very, very strong hungering, certainly within the Democratic Party, for a level of newness, not newness, but authenticity of yeah. realness. I mean, you know, Hillary Clinton's big lesson or big message is we want to appeal to everyday Americans. I mean, what is more everyday than um, than loss, than tragedy, than flaws, than just you know the, the overall again pain and but also humanity that, that Joe Biden brings. So, 
Again, I may hate to be so crassly political in a context like this, but oh, what the hell, right? Well, I mean, but I mean, you do I think, sort of wonder but, 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 how this but, affects his thinking, right? But it, 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 I think, and Annie, I, I wonder what you think about this. It, it makes us ask questions about who we are as a country, and I guess I wonder: Is Joe Biden evidence that we reward good intention? I mean, you could look at even George W. Bush, right, who got a rough ride while he was in office, but his favorables have gone up, as they always do with ex-presidents. But generally, I mean, people think he was a bad president or a stupid president. But, you know, most people will say he he was a fool, but maybe he had good intentions, as foolish and bad as his policies were. Or Joe Biden will sometimes make an ass of himself, but is undeniably has good intentions. And I wonder if we think this country rewards our leaders who underneath it all, no matter how many bad decisions they make or fools they make of themselves, have good intentions. Who knows what's going on in the Biden family and in his head right now? And who knows how this kind of tragedy affects somebody's thinking and changes their priorities? But in a kind of crassly political sense, yeah, I think that this is this is reignited a real, not just an outpouring of grief for the Biden family, but it's kind of reminded people of what they liked about Joe Biden in the first place. He was this like lion of the Senate. He knows a tremendous amount of things about a lot of things. He is a really good politician. He's been a, f- a really effective vice president. And that's kind of a shitty job. I think along with being like first lady, it's one of these jobs that you're sort of like an appendix in the White House. It's like not always clear what you do. But nevertheless, you, you talk to Unless people. Unless you're Dick Cheney, really in which case. You actually are president. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I mean, he was he was an interesting exception. Right. But it has it's reminded people of, of the gravity that he has and the resonance that he has and, and the reason that people liked him in the first place. I actually want to disagree with one thing. I, I think Joe Biden seems to really love the job of vice president. I think yeah, he's quite think well right. suited to it. I mean, I think a certain one of the prerequisites to the job is just gameness being kind of up for anything, yes. um, including subverting your ego to you know, the uber ego of the president. So I think he has a really, really good vice presidential temperament. I mean, you know, some would say that Dick Cheney did also, but it's a very, very different kind of template. But Joe Biden has been part of the scenery for a long, long, long time. And it's sort of impossible not to take stock of this moment and feel great pathos for him. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Now that you've said that, I was thinking, like, can you imagine Barack Obama as vice president? And I can't, right? And maybe that's because he's president, but also, you know, his his irony and his kind of, like, sardonic side, I think, really, really wouldn't work there. Bizarrely, I could imagine George W. Bush being a pretty good vice president. <laughs> um, maybe Hillary will pick him as his running. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Bill Clinton, I think, would have made a pretty good vice president. Well, also. we'll see. Depending uh, you know, on what that, happens in 2016. Yeah. I was actually interviewing Hillary Clinton about two years ago about Joe Biden for yeah. the piece I was doing. And Hillary Clinton said, you know, vice president is a very, very undefined job. It's kind of like being the first lady. And I remember at that moment, I'm like, oh, she probably shouldn't have said that because she's comparing Joe Biden to a first lady. And that's kind of loaded. But anyway, I just wanted to be able to name drop Hillary Clinton. And me, I was talking to Hillary Clinton a few years ago. So that was really all. They well, we've come it. to expect that from you and your intrepid mm-hmm. reporting, Mark. But you do <laughs> provide me with an excellent segue as well as a name drop to Hillary Clinton. More specifically, <laughs> Hillary's challenger, Bernard Sanders of Vermont, who has been doing what he does best, stirring up controversy from the left wing establishment. I say left wing establishment with a wink and a nod. This time, Sanders is in Iowa. Apparently, he has been drawing record-setting crowds in the low hundreds. Keep in mind, this is still Iowa, but the attention is surely more than enough to remind Hillary of her poor showing at the Iowa caucuses in 2008. Dare we mention that? Annie, so we were talking about authenticity, and I was saying this to someone who was 
maligning the fact that it was, oh, I don't know, 700 people that showed up for Bernie Sanders. But I can bet you that the 700 people who showed up for Bernie Sanders were pretty damn fired up compared to the maybe, I don't know how many thousands that will show up for Hillary on June 13th. Do you think she has an enthusiasm problem to concern herself with? Not significantly. I don't think that she has a big enthusiasm problem. I don't think that she has a big favorability problem. I don't think that Bernie Sanders is going to impact her. Her campaign is like, you know, like the battleship and he's like a porpoise or something. And people really like him. And, you know, maybe he presses her in one way or another. But I do think that him and Martin O'Malley are are really fascinating challengers for her. And the thing that I think is really refreshing about Bernie Sanders is that he has this kind of like Rand Paul-like or, you know, Barney Frank-like willingness to just say whatever it is that he's thinking in a completely and totally unguarded way. And that's just delightful. I could not be happier. Rand Paul has been going back and forth about whether he's really a libertarian or actually you can (laughs) trust him to be a Republican. Bernie Sanders is a man of convictions. Now, you may think that he's like an outer space, but like I, he genuinely believes all of the stuff that he's saying. I mean, this comes from, this is rooted in real belief, I think, Mark. Absolutely. But I also think that he is positioned to be at this point someone or that thing on the left that crystallizes the the hunger in the Democratic Party for anything either but Hillary, but also just the fervor on the left. I mean, Howard Dean sort of caught it in 2004, and he was actually a much, much, much better candidate than Bernie Sanders was theoretically. But I think Bernie Sanders will have a boomlet. I think that this is the kind of thing that minus any other Democrats who get in. I mean, he could actually really coalesce or really sort of you know, have a, a pretty good base of support. But having said that, I don't see him as any real threat to Hillary Clinton. Okay, so here's my question. Then why is Martin O'Malley thought he was going to kind of channel the, the Warren wing of the party? And he's gotten just totally tangled up in his record in Maryland and maybe putting in place some policies that have led to a shocking level of an unequal treatment under the law when it comes to the criminal justice system in minority communities. And in some ways, people think that may have scuttled his candidacy or at least his favor in the left wing of the party. And I guess I wonder, is is Martin O'Malley at all useful to this field at, at this point? Is he useful to the Democratic Party? Or maybe he provides some sort of like middle ground between Hillary and Bernie and lets her stake out a more moderate position as opposed to constantly just having to play yin to Bernie Sanders' yang. I think he plays a very, very useful position to O'Malley? Clinton. O'Malley does because, you know, in, in so much as the, he's there, I mean, Bernie Sanders is not going to get all of the un-Hillary support, right? Now, could a Biden get in and sort of maybe cut into the establishment Democratic vote? But no, I mean, I I don't see, I mean, O'Malley, unfortunately for him, I think he could have, I think, crystallized a lot of support on the left, but now we have Bernie Sanders to sort of catch that. And O'Malley kind of presents as a much more typical politician in a way that I don't think is going to be really a lightning rod for any kind of emotional support among Democrats, right? I, I feel like O'Malley is like the guy that you see and you appreciate that he is really perfect looking and like maybe great on paper. Wait, Annie, but perfect he's just like, looking? Oh, you're no, just no, no, saying no. Like, like in that way. As a, as a metaphor. I just you're like, not, like, sister, not... come on. Ezra Klein's <laughs> a handsome dude. No. Don't, don't put him in. <laughs> 
But you're Don't not like, attracted to, to him, right? Like he's like sexless somehow. <laughs> I am definitely not attracted to Martin O'Malley or this Bernie is... Sanders for that matter. Really? Yes. I was gonna. Well, that was my next question. <laughs> this is all in the realm of. Metaphor. In fact, I he's... might be more attracted to Bernie Sanders than Martin O'Malley, which is how little I think he is of lacking a certain O'Malley. personal magnetism and je ne sais quoi. Yeah. All other issues aside, he is just not. I think as compelling. He's had so much trouble. It's still like 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 two percent of Americans are aware of who he is. And again, he has like all of these credentials. He makes a lot of sense. He does kind of like look the part, but he just for whatever reason doesn't like capture people. Do you is that it? Is that it? Like because if that's if you gotta be someone with something about you, then doesn't that mean the Republicans are in much better shape than we are? Because every single character on that stage, and it's gonna be a big stage, is like a caricature of a Paul of, of like a person with a crazy personality. I mean, John Kasich has basically blended into the wall. <laughs> he is so vanilla. But with <laughs> accepting him, I mean you've got like the crazy neurosurgeon. You've got the the Jonathan Franzen with glasses wearing, I had to say it, former governor of Texas. You have the mean girl Carly Fiorina. I mean, everybody there is so colorful. And we have, oh, milk toast Bernie. Sa- I mean, Bernie Sanders qualifies as a colorful character. And Hillary Clinton, <laughs> who's so poll tested that like a huge part of her rollout has been like, we're going to discover her personality. Well, I, I do, though, think that in fairness, on paper and just sort of if you're going to if you're going to go credential by credential, the Republicans do have a very, very deep field. Now, deep yeah. might be a very, very charitable right. way of looking at it. But look, I <laughs> mean, Lindsey Graham, who, who yeah. announced this week, I mean, we have this parade of like everyone announces for president. Like we've had like one a day for the last, you know, it's really yeah. the last 10 days. It's, it as of today, it's 5% of the Senate is running. Is that true? Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Um, it's so amazing. So it's good. They'll just miss more votes. But but I, I look, Lindsey Graham, Rand Paul, I mean, Ted Cruz, I mean, Scott Marco Walker. Rubio. I mean, Mark Rubio. I mean, they all bring some real, real credentials, if not appeal. And I think, you know, no one's taking Lindsey Graham seriously, but why not? I mean, it, yeah. I, don't, I don't think there's – I mean, th- you could make a case that pretty much everyone except for maybe, I don't know, Carly Fiorino, Donald Trump, George Pataki. I mean, Donald Trump, Donald uh, Trump. Hey, you know, he's got a big announcement he's going to make this in a few weeks. This is going to be the this? best race ever. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I don't know. So I want to know if you guys are attracted to any of the Republicans. I mean, we talked about Bernie and Martin O'Malley. I mean, well, are any- you attracted to any of the candidates between yeah, sure, Carly Fiorina <laughs> and Hillary Clinton? Or let's well, no. You know, I mean, I, mean, I, I want to keep it open. Yeah, broad, I'm, I'm very, very out. metrosexual in this particular conversation. I would say Rick Perry is a handsome man. We could have let's a hell of a game. Rick Perry is the Kyle right Chandler. Oh, can we play Kiss of that race? Kiss Mary. T- oh, kiss. 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 Well, I mean, that's not. Yeah, how, it's not that's not kiss. how they say it on the school bus, but. <laughs> And, you know, Since we've is, been chastised for swearing too much. You know, Podcast for America is big on school buses. Well, <laughs> listen. The kids are downloading you, this left Once again, un, you have uncomfortably provided me with a great segue to our next topic, this which involves sexual attraction and Capitol Hill in Congress. Dennis <laughs> Hastert. Oh, God. Okay. Wow. We will be back in just two shakes of a lamb's tail to talk about other things, including Dennis Hastert high school history teaching, and the Hastert Rule. But first, a word from our sponsor. 
These days, you can get practically everything on demand, like our podcast, Podcast for America. You want to listen to it, so you tap a button, and voila, here we are. So why are you still dealing with limited hours at the post office when you can get your postage on demand with Stamps.com? Use Stamps.com to buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. It's great for businesses. Think of it as Uber for Stamps. Unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes. Right now, use our promo code AMERICA for this special offer, a no-risk trial plus a $110 bonus offer. That includes up to $55 in free postage. So go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and enter AMERICA. That's Stamps.com, enter code AMERICA. Okay, on to our third topic. The situation continues to look worse and worse for Dennis Haster. The former Speaker of the House will be arraigned this week following an indictment that alleges he agreed to pay millions of dollars in hush money to someone from the town in Illinois where he used to be a high school history teacher and wrestling coach. Mark, you have spent time with Dennis Denny Hastert. Are you shocked? What was your first thought when you heard about this? Well, so I, I rode in a fire engine with him in a 4th of July parade in Yorkville, Illinois. Of oh, course God. I did. I remember very wrestling coach. He was like Denny to everyone. He also, I remember being very possessive about not letting me ring the siren because I was literally sitting up there like next to him on the um, on the on the <laughs> fire engine. And as we were going through the parade, like, you know, he said, you want to ring the siren? I, I rang the siren once and like the kids were there and he was throwing lollipops at the kids. But I, I wanted to ring it like more than once. And, and he was very, very possessive about it. The other thing I remember, <laughs> this is a little off point, but it was so hot. I remember he had a blotch of sweat pooling in his belly button and, and blotching through his shirt. Oh, um, how ignoble. Which is not really what we're talking about. Him but today. these are I, just the pastiches of Mark Leibovich's memory. <laughs> this is this is this is this is the soundtrack. Of this my is life. what you remember that the, the not ringing the fire engine alarm bell <laughs> is telling, right? This is it's, it's I think it's a, it's a control experience. issue. Certainly yeah, for me, and also bell. the preoccupation with adolescent sort of playthings. I mean, I oh, just isn't that like a grown man? You know, well, I mean, also, I'm playing armchair psychologist, but what well, you know, yeah. I do that all the time. I have, I have a a bit of his. So this actually, this I did not write this. This comes from Oren Kerr, who is a law professor at GW, where he wrote. If I understand the history correctly, in the late 1990s, the president was impeached for lying about a sexual affair by the House of Representatives, led by a man who was also then hiding a sexual affair, who was supposed to be replaced by another congressman who stepped down when forced to reveal that he, too, was having a sexual affair, which led to the election of the new Speaker of the House, who has now been indicted for lying about payments covering up his sexual contact with exactly. a boy. Well, thank, exactly. Thank God Tom DeLay was there to be squeaked. I mean, Mark, <laughs> if there is not a, a better cesspool. this town moment it really than this. Is I mean, uh, first of all, like, we don't know anything about the victim, and I, you know. Oh, God. And, I, and our sympathies are with any victim of sexual abuse and predatory sexual behavior. But, you know, the Washington part of it, the absolute utter grossness of this is like this town crystallized, right? And then the Democrats stormed in to drain the swamp. Oh, God. No, I mean, it's first of all, okay, Denny Haster, the, what, what's great about this story is the matter of fact, well, first of all, it's a terrible story. Let's Let's acknowledge that. But what's extremely interesting about this story is the afterthought treatment that, oh, yeah, and he made $8 million in lobbying fees yeah, last year. Yeah. I mean, just that's just such a normal order of things that you can step down from from the House after being Speaker of the House for eight years and just immediately 
go into an extravagant tax bracket like that where you can you can pay off anyone, right? I mean, for God knows what other sins there are to pay off. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. But what's it's just striking how much money is just promised to someone like that. And also, look, I mean, everyone, there are all these stories now where this is a crushing blow to Yorkville, Illinois, where he is Mr. Yorkville. I mean, I'm guessing Denny Hastert rarely goes back to Yorkville. Oh, and the people have spoken. I mean, they're not erecting the statue that they were going to erect as of like last week. Republicans have distanced themselves. He's like taken himself or been taken off of the boards that he was advising. I mean, this has been a, a mightily fast fall from respectability. Yeah, this is this is oh god, it's just really really awful. I would also note that the you know the way that this seems to have come about, and I think that there's a lot more that we will probably learn about this. But that the fact that that it wasn't the incident that came out, it was not even the blackmail that came out. It was like his payments, right? It was like tax information, yes. and then yeah. and then lying, lying to federal agents. To federal agents, mm-hmm. like that was what they actually got him for. So I feel like there's a lot more to come of this. But I agree with you, Mark, that like I'm. Very very excited to see a ton more scrutiny on how much money he was making and what he was doing, especially given it wasn't it Mary Landrew who it just turned out oh, has signed man. up on K Street. Oh yeah, no, yeah. It's... And it's a, you know it's a two-year prohibition on lobbying your former colleagues, and that yeah, I think. I mean, the reprehensible lizard-like behavior of Denny Hastert cannot be overstated. I, I, I yeah. also he was. You know, out there with the pitchfork for Bill Clinton impeaching the president of the United States for having an affair with an intern, knowing full well, I mean, if we're to believe these allegations, that he was having some sort of sexual liaison with an underage teen while he called himself coach. I mean, that's outrageous. May I say, out-fucking-rageous. It's the layers of hypocrisy. I mean, if you yeah. if you really do have to sort of step back and look at that moment in history as just one of the great exercises in towering hypocrisy in our political landscape. Yeah, and you can just imagine them all, you know, maybe they were never in the room together, but it was just like one pervert accusing another pervert of being a pervert and just on and on and And not prosecuting other perverts like Mark Foley who was (laughs) sending harassing instant messages to young male pages. I mean, like, it the list goes on. Yeah, Yeah. see, to me, I, I would sort of put Hastert's conduct around the Mark Foley thing when he was actually Speaker of the House in, you know, the mid- you know, aughts as even more striking than what happened in the mid- late 90s. Because I, I would probably make a distinction between extramarital affairs and, oh, and sort of any kind of abuse of, yeah. of you know, yes, underage yes, boys yes, or girls or whatever. Yeah, affairs between consenting adults, it's like... Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, we're all... Well, Although whatever. she was a White House intern. But at any rate, go ahead. She consented, though. Well... We're back to Lewinsky. We're, all roads yeah. lead so, to Lewinsky. Oh, yeah. No, she's no. like our... Look, there, there's a lot we don't know in the Hastert story. I'm actually fascinated to hear from him if we ever will. Does this blow over? I mean, does he no. end up with a lucrative job on K Street again in five years? Oh, God. Or, or I, let's say I three. honestly don't think so. Because I, I, I think that's right. And I think that part of what we've been dancing around is like there, there are like Dante's Inferno type levels of hellish behavior. And this is a really different one than well, the usual we scummery. Think, we think. We think. We think. At the moment. At the moment. But look, he, he paid for... I mean, I mean, if you want to be really cynical about... Well, not cynical. You want to be pragmatic about this. Whoever this victim is obviously suffered a great deal. Yeah. But also, you know, 
benefited financially. I mean, presumably this person has supported himself largely through Denny Hastert's lobbying money. Does that mean yeah. that lobbying money went to good? I don't know. Maybe don't that's know. too cynical. I don't know. There is supposedly a second victim who is not well, right. on the payroll. Ugh. And maybe that second victim's thinking, wow, well, when do I get paid? Right? You know? I mean, now this is the kind of thing where there will be other dominoes to fall and we'll just learn about it. And in the meantime, everybody can let out a collective sigh of disgust that this whole thing took place. <sighs> what is a sigh of? Is it? It sounded like relief, thing? Mark. But oh, you know, no, it's a, it's really. a hair's breadth between the two. Okay, <laughs> so now we are on to our lightning round, which for us is more like a slow rolling clap of thunder. <laughs> 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 Called "If I Were in Charge." So I'll go throw it to you guys first. If you were in charge, Annie, what would you be doing? If I were in charge, I would be accepting large cash payments from FIFA officials for my influence in the world of soccer. I love this story. It is turning me into a sports fan. There are amazing details. There was a person who had a $5,000 a month apartment for his cats. It does not get better <laughs> than the true? FIFA Wait, story. Wait, I did yes. not know that. Yeah, I didn't mm-hmm. know that either. Where that makes the- me feel better about the small pied a I'm renting for my tabby. I know, and I'm like, how <laughs> nice must that apartment have been? I bet there were like frite sheets. Anyway, I love this story. It is wonderful. And I love the fact that it's Loretta Lynch who comes and is just like, you know what? We don't have an obvious route for jurisdiction. It turns out that they only figured this out because they were investigating something totally different, had to do, I think, with Russian money laundering. And then they came across the, the fact that FIFA was totally corrupt. And she's like, you know what? Doing it. And I love it. This is the best thing Americans have done in slash for soccer ever. I know. It's going to turn the whole country into soccer fans is my hope. This Doubtful. This, this changes <laughs> land. Yeah, right. Yeah. Every, every It's always like two or four years until America really loves soccer, right? right. Just you do the need a scandal around it, though, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, figure skating was never more popular than around the Nancy Kerrigan, oh. Tanya Harding thing. That was hey. so good. It was great. Look like, out for a it. soccer ball coming towards you soon. <laughs> uh, Mark, what would you do if you were in charge? If I were in charge, I would outlaw anyone referring to like the first Hispanic president, the first black president, the first gay president, when not referring specifically to someone who is black, Hispanic, gay, what have you. Example, Bill Clinton was the first black president, and then Barack Obama gets elected, and, and, and you know, of course he couldn't be the first black president because Bill Clinton already was. Newsweek last year called him the first gay president, Wait, he's called been, who the first gay president? Barack Obama. Oh, really? Uh, this was last I year. That was Obviously, he, he's the first Muslim president. He, you yeah. guys. He, well, no, he, well, he's been called that too. He also has been called the first Jewish president because he has a bunch of satyrs. Jeb Bush, according <laughs> the to the first national, Muslim president. The national, the, the, yes. The, well, and Jeb, Jeb Bush, Bush thinks he's the first Hispanic president. Well, he was on the cover of the National yep. Journal this week I as the first Cuban American president. So, I would like to outlaw any sort of landmark Cheeky. historic choices like that when Cheeky in fact historical a, that might be just me mindlessly being literal about this but i think it's become i think it's confusing to some people and i think the jeb bush so. campaign likes it being confusing to people <laughs> if i were in charge i would fire ruth bader ginsburg and make this white house pick another justice for the bench i know that is heretical to say, but I was looking at the list of decisions we're going to get handed down from the Supreme Court in the next month, and basically they are our entire government. They are all three branches of government at this point. This president's legacy largely rests in the hands of the court, whether they're ruling on the EPA or lethal injections, I guess that's not his legacy, or the fate (laughs) of the Affordable Care Act. I mean, the Supreme Court has crazy amounts of power 
power that our founding fathers never intended. And the idea that Ruth Bader Ginsburg is just going to sit on the bench because she doesn't want to leave and risk the balance of the court, which is right now incredibly fragile, seems to be morally hazardous. But just so we're clear, though, just if if we were in charge, it, it sort of as a as I a mean, I can't actually do rule. that even if I was no, in but, charge. But if you were in charge, well, no, because are you actually in the process of becoming in charge? Are you actually putting yourself in charge of changing the Constitution? I mean, could you yeah. in, in Alex Wagner's Constitutional world, term limits. I guess could, that's what I'm saying. So I'd you could actually fire. I mean, fire. Okay. I mean SCOTUS I really, term limits. I do. And I, I hate the Supreme Court. I really do. I think it's structured horribly. ridiculous. Yeah. It's totally ridiculous. And I it's gotten the to the point they of don't, ludicrous. Yeah, I hate the fact that they don't allow C-SPAN to broadcast arguments. I hate That's the a fact point of that they People don't have. Win. Yeah, yeah. I hate the fact that they're allowed to, you know, stay there for as long as they want. It is an obviously political institution that nobody will admit is political. Yep. A lot of things about it bug me. Fire Ginsburg. Make I it said more it. I'm like get the obvious Ginsburg. clown Congress that actual yeah, Congress right. is. Televise it so Rand Paul can filibuster <laughs> next time would, we're talking about the Affordable Care Act. But why would you not use your powers and actually fire the other justices? Well, I'm just saying Ginsburg right? is like actively like falling asleep at State of the Unions, is not in good health, is the justice most <laughs> yeah. likely, likely to see. That was, that was after a bit of and, wine, and, and, which and I honest, love that she admitted. <laughs> it becomes more reprehensible be, precisely because, as Annie says, it's a political institution. She knows that it's going to be a big deal if she steps down and they're gonna, there's going to need to be a sort of progressive counterweight to whoever the Republicans get to pick if they get the White House in 2016. I mean, timing is of the essence. And to just sit there and say, I'm going to I'm going to weigh this one out, knowing that she's not well and that, you know, the balance of the court could be thrown out of whack, depending on who gets the White House, seems really wrong. There's already Loretta Lynch buzz around that seat. Guys, really, I mean, honestly, what if I Barack should, Obama I nominated himself on his like last nominee. day in office? Just think about that it. That would be, you know, Has what Emperor Obama. <laughs> now wait a minute, though. Would Emperor Obama usurp the "if I were in charge" designation from our podcast? That's the question. Uh, probably. He's we should emperor. ask him. That's the next podcast, guys. Our special guest will be President Barack Obama. You heard it here first. We were going to keep this for the deep tease on iTunes, but we got it right here at the end of this podcast. That is all for us. Our producer is Sarah Abdurrahman. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Please do let us know what you think of the show. You'll find us on Twitter at Pod for America. Our email address is podcastforamerica at gmail.com. That's right. We got the address. And if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend or an enemy and subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. It helps other people discover our show. For Annie Lowry and Mark Leibovich, I'm Alex Wagner in New York City. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you, America, for listening to this podcast.